Hi, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of my podcast, Help From Above, a commentary on the industrial real estate market in New York and New Jersey. Today, I am really thrilled to have uh, our guest with us, Ting Patka of Duval and Stackenfeld. Ting is a partner there where she chairs the New York City Real Estate Tax and Incentives Practice Group and also co-chairs the firm's New York City Climate Mobilization Act Task Force. And today is here to talk about that Climate Mobilization Act. Uh, Ting, thank you so much for being on. It's great to have you. Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, how have you been? What's new? Oh, nothing much. You know, just living the dream like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's when I say that to people, it's like the last couple months, I think there's less sarcasm and cynicism. You know, the kids are back at school full time now. I got one out of two shots in the arm. Uh, now it's actually like, OK, there's some optimism here. Right. The weather's getting warmer, you know, summer's on the horizon. So, yeah, I, I agree. This is de- like uh, I feel like we, we, we are all cautiously optimistic that the worst is over and that the best is yet to come. Definitely, definitely good to hear. Um, Ting, before we jump too much into the, the new act, and I know it's a super important topic uh, for all owners, but industrial in particular to hear about. Can we start with a little background on uh, yourself and your areas of expertise, just to kind of fill people in? Yes, of course. So as you mentioned earlier, I am a partner um, at the law firm Duval and Stackenfeld, um, where I am chair of the New York City Real Estate Tax and Incentives Group and co-chair of the Climate Mobilization Act Task Force. So what I personally specialize in is, um, is, is really like a cornucopia of niche practice areas, um, primarily uh, issues that affect property taxes. Um, where I represent owners and developers and on property tax matters such as certiorari and um, incentives like 421A and ICAP. And I'm also, uh, for the last couple of years, been advising um, our, our clients on uh, uh, Climate Mobilization Act issues, particularly local law 97 compliance and also PACE financing. Yeah, it occurred to me as we were kind of prepping for the podcast, I've been fortunate to hear you speak uh, maybe three or four times over my career, and it's usually on developer incentives or zoning benefits, things that are sunsetting, expiring, and you're sort of like ringing, you know, ringing the alarms at the last minute. Climate mobilization, uh, I gather it's, it's not really going anywhere. It's, it's a bit of a different approach to this one. Oh, it's, it's also me ringing the bell for the last two years. So as a quick overview, the Climate Mobilization Act is a, it was a suite of bills that City Council passed in April of 2019, so two years ago. And amongst them, the, the marquee bills, Local Law 97, which requires um, buildings to limit um, the amount of greenhouse gas emissions um, that they can emit. You know, So essentially, uh, it's a carbon cap on buildings, which will become effective in 2024. So since this, so since Local Law 97 and, you know, as part of the, as part of the CMA was passed, I have been ringing the bell, um, banging drums, trying to get the real estate industry to pay attention to this. When this first came out, you would think that this would be like a, a huge, 
um, that there would be huge fanfare because it's going to affect a, a lot of buildings in the city. It's, it's going to be potentially very expensive for owners to comply. But if you go back in your time machine in April of 2019, um, New York City real estate industry was, was captivated by what was happening in Albany with respect to rent reform. Two months later, Albany completely revamped the rent stabilization as we know it. So that sucked up most of the oxygen in the room and the Climate Mobilization Act kind of um, got, got lost in the fray. And, I, and then several months later, COVID hit. So, um, so Local on 97 just hasn't, ha- there has been no um, room at the table for, uh, for real estate owners to really be paying much attention to that as they've been just, you know, literally trying to, uh, to survive in the last 18 months. Um, so part of the reason why you and I having this discussion is to, is to further educate um, your listeners that, um, that this is coming, that they should be paying attention to it now. Right. And I'm, as I'm kind of doing more and more research, and I'm always interested in you know, putting this through the perspective of industrial owners, when I look at the, the different asset types, industrial kind of strikes me as the one that could maybe benefit the most. Um, the bones, the infrastructure are just maybe most uh, conducive to upgrades and retrofits. Whereas you look at multifamily and you've got sort of the round the clock nonstop use. You look at office and you've got dozens potentially of floors to to circulate and to move your utilities, uh, electric, water, heat, air up and down. Uh, whereas industrial generally, right, we're flatter, wider buildings, uh, easier access to the industrials, the tenancy, the usage is a little more predictable in terms of the hours. I'm curious, you speak to a lot of owners, have industrial owners and investors as a result been a little more receptive to this? To be honest, it's it's been it's been flat all across all different asset types. Of, um, uh, I'm hearing the most from the multi-residential sector for the reasons you described. They 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 seem to be the most in tune and concerned, and I um, I have I have heard the least from industrial asset owners. You know, perhaps uh, perhaps industrial also because of just because of their operations, maybe the majority of them are in, in, in compliance. Because keep in mind, right now, Local Law 97 only applies to buildings that are 25,000 square feet or larger. Um, and and, and uh, the ways that industrial properties are operated, a lot of them sometimes, you know, do, uh, due to tenant density or lack thereof, perhaps the building is not emitting as much carbon as, say, a 24-7 office building in Midtown, right? Um, so, so there is the possibility that industrial buildings have paid attention and realized that they already, um, that, that they already fall under the limit of, of, of the carbon caps uh, that are going to be in place in 2024. Or that they're, or you know, like worst uh, case scenario, they're they're not paying attention. The one industrial asset that comes to mind that I would emphasize absolutely should be paying attention would be cold storage because cold storage requires a lot more energy than your than a self storage warehouse would, right? So there are certain subclasses of industrial that uh, should be paying attention more than some others. 
Okay, that's yeah, that's a couple interesting points. Let's uh, let's see if we can spread the word a little bit, maybe drum up some more business for you. <laughs> yes, the... yeah, there is there is one um, media deadline that all uh, property owners, you know, of these large uh, assets should be paying attention to, which is July one. You know, which is right around the corner, a couple of months from now. So um, if your July one is an opportunity for building owners. Um, to plead for mercy to the city to adjust the to adjust the cap that's supposed to be in place in 2024. So I'll step back for a little a little bit. Um, so the the caps that are effective in 2024, the building owner can already figure out now what it is because uh, the cap is is um, unique to each bu- to each building because it is a it's a formula. What the formula generally is is that you take Whatever the heat, whatever the heat source is of of a building, uh, there's a numerical factors attributed to each. You know, so whether you're oil, gas, or electric, so on. There's a numerical factor there. You multiply it by the use type of your of your um, property, which whatever your CO says. Again, a numerical factor is assigned to whether or not you are office, residential, um, medical, etc. And then you multiply it by the gross square feet of your property. And that equals the amount of carbon that you will be allowed to emit. So every single building owner can find out today what their carbon cap is. Now the July one deadline says that if your 2018 emissions, um, cause re- recall that uh, buildings also required to um, do benchmarking. If your reported 2018 emissions um, exceeds your 2024 cap by at least 40%, then you may be eligible for an adjustment. You know, so the city recognizes because if you ex- if because if if you're over your 2024 cap by 40% or more, that essentially means that no matter what you do to your building, no matter what kind of retrofits, no matter how much money you throw at it, there's no way you're going to be able to reduce your emissions by 40%, right? And it, that also typically means that there's a special circumstance as to why your uh, why your emissions are so are so much over. It's typically maybe you're a high density building, you're tw- you're op- Operating 24/7, or you have a, a tenant that is um, that is energy intensive, you know, like a trading floor or something. So, uh, so if you if you have these factors, um, July one is the deadline to apply for an adjustment. And um, and you know, like I said, that 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 deadline is right around the corner, and an owner will need the time to first assess to see you know what their cap is going to be in 2024 they need to dig up as their 2018 emissions exceed that cap do they qualify and then they'll need to put um, put all the information together for such application by july 1. got it that's really helpful and when i put the podcast uh up i'll include some resources for owners to kind of uh calculate their own cap and and figure out that first step Mm -hmm. beyond that and july one what's sort of the next step that you are um strategizing that you're advising owners to be aware of so owner so sooner than later owners should should assess uh they should they 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 should assess what what their building emissions are right so first they need to confirm whether or not their building is twenty five thousand gross square feet or larger and that's based upon the department of finance records so if they if they um are 
uh, 25,000 square feet or larger, then they will be covered under local law 97. Then they, the next step is to figure out what your carbon cap is. And then after that, um, get an energy audit to figure out what the emissions are. Now, professionals like uh, engineers and energy auditors, like they are the professionals that you would seek out to, to do these calculations for you because they will also be the same folks who um, certify whether or not you are in compliance um, with, with the city when the time comes to issue those reports. And, then it, and, and, and the reason why I say sooner than later is because even though we are... Um, even though we are still three years away from compliance, things take time to happen. It takes time for a co-op to vote to do this, to hire uh, someone, right? Then it takes time to, to find someone, to engage them, for them to actually do, do the work, for them to get you back the report, for, you, for, the, for the board to then figure out um, what are our next steps? What are our options? How are we going to pay for this? Um, and then drawing up the plans, um, pulling the permits, actually doing the work, getting the sign-offs. Before you know it, three years is up. Agreed. Yeah, the horizon isn't so distant anymore. And when I overhear people talking specifically about the fines and what could potentially be in play, I think people are starting to now uh, focus much more on this. So I was recently um, presenting with an engineer before um, an insurance company, and the engineer did a case study on that insurance company's properties. And one of the properties, uh, you know, like a, the engineer used a scare tactic, which is always if, and the insurance company that if that their carbon emissions as it stands right now would subject them to at least a six-figure penalty, if not seven-figure. So we're talking potentially a million-dollar financial penalty um, if, the, if that owner did not do anything um, about, their, about their energy efficiency and reported their carbon emissions as of today. So Local Law 97 has, uh, has a lot of teeth to it. And it's, it's, it's just um, unfortunate that the real estate industry is still not paying that much attention to it, you know, but it, the real estate industry has definitely shown an increased attention span to it um, since Local Law 97 first was passed two years ago. So I'm feeling optimistic that perhaps uh, we're over the hump and um, with three years left to go, owners are finally starting to see that now is the time to be paying attention because keep in mind resources are going to become limited as well as more and more owners um, wake up to this the experts available are going to their schedules are going to fill up um, as well you know as well as contractors who will be needed to to do the necessary work to retrofit and comply and that makes a lot of sense i think not everyone will be motivated by regulation, by potential penalties, but a lot of people might become more interested when they hear about some of the benefits long-term, uh, certainly some of the workarounds and the financing options. Could you touch a little bit on PACE and also on the energy offsets, which I know was uh, just actually ruled down maybe by Albany? There was something uh, in the press about a week ago about that. 
Right. So, um, so I'll talk about the offsets first of what you mentioned in Albany. So one of the methods of compliance, um, so in addition to retrofits, which is the most obvious there are uh, way to comply, there are other ways to comply, in- including the purchasing of renewable energy credits and offsets. Um, offsets are, for example, if uh, someone planted trees um, out west, you know, you 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 purchased, uh, you, you're purchasing like their um, their carbon reduction, and and uh, but uh, the law limits to how much offsets you can purchase. It, uh, the law limits that you can only purchase up to ten percent of offsets. And then with renewable energy credits, also the the law limited it to the fact that the renewable energy sources had to uh, originate in New York City or, or, um, or be fed into directly to New York City. Well, the problem with that is right now, none of that exists. So what the, so what the state budget had proposed was allowing New York City owners to be able to purchase RECs outside of the city. But then that but then opponents to that proposal um, uh, argue that that defeats the purpose of Local Law 97, which was to reduce carbon emissions in the city. Um, so that's so the opponents won the day, and 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 uh, that um, the ability for owners to purchase wrecks outside the city was ultimately struck out of of the budget. Pace financing was also included as part of cl- the, the Climate Mobilization Act when it was passed two years ago. Uh, Pace is Local Law 96 of 2019, and it stands for Property Assessed Clean Energy. Um, Pace is essentially a form of a construction loan and allows for 100% financing of um, qualified green improvements. So PACE is uh, enabled by statute. It currently exists in 37 states, including New York and Washington, D.C. Um, but after a state passes a statute, the local taxing authority also has to pass legislation turning PACE on. And that's what city council did two years ago in the Climate Mobilization Act. They turned PACE on in New York City. Um, so, like as I said, PACE um, is a construction loan and, and will help finance, um, it will help pay for all the retrofits that Local Law 97 will inevitably require. Um, it is a fixed uh, term loan. Generally, the interest rates right now run between five and a half to six and a half percent, and it's amortized over the useful life of the qualified improvements, which generally is about 20 to 25 years. So PACE is a long-term fixed loan. What makes PACE special and magical, as I put it, is that it is repaid as a property tax assessment. It appears as a line item on your property tax bill, and that's how PACE is repaid. So because PACE is treated as a property tax, it primes the mortgage. So historically, senior lenders have not um, have not been keen on pace. In fact, a lot of their loan documents say thou shall not pace because they don't want anything to prime their mortgage. However, we do see um, that changing. The market is going to force senior lenders to consent to pace because if they don't, they will be they will ultimately be at a at a disadvantage. You know because just I'm just using names as examples. For example, if I'm Chase and I don't consent to Pace, 
then my borrower who wants a PACE loan can just go next door where, for example, Goldman Sachs will consent to PACE. So that's why um, my firm, me and my firm, are, we're convinced that senior lenders will eventually consent to PACE. So we'll, I guess, stay tuned on that. But I see what you're saying where the market will inevitably dictate uh, some changes there that make it more attractive to lenders. Yeah, and PACE is also really exciting for the for the developer because, like I said, PACE is a construction loan and it should be thought of as a supplement um, to your construction loan because construction lenders typically will only fund about 60% of your project cost, right? And then so you're left with, with figuring out the rest of your capital stack, which often includes mezzanine lending, which is very expensive at 12 to 13% of interest rates. Whereas now that mez can be replaced with, with a much cheaper pace at five and a half to six and a half percent, right? Literally a fraction of, of what mez is. Um, so pace essentially reduces a developer's uh, overall cost of their capital stack. Got it. So I think we touched on a ton of information just to reiterate to the property owners and investors listening. The first step is to catch emissions. Second step, reach out to a engineer, someone who can help you maybe recommend some retrofits. And uh, that comes after the July 1st deadline where you've really got to get your emissions in. So there's penalties if we don't do that. Well, there's no penalty if you don't meet a ju- don't the July 1 deadline. Right. The July okay. 1 deadline is simply a deadline for an application where you're pleading for mercy. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an owner's only opportunity to plead for mercy, to ask for an, an adjustment if, if their 2018 emissions is so high that they already know they won't be able to meet the 2024 cap. Um, so and, and it would just be it would just be silly if an owner let that opportunity pass them by where they had the opportunity to um, to increase their cap, but didn't. OK, that's more clear. Uh, Ting, I think that's really, really helpful. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this information with the market. Do you want to maybe let people know how to get a hold of you? What's a good uh, number, email, if they have any questions or if they want to start the process? Yes, absolutely. So I'm at the law firm Duvall and Stackenfeld. Uh, you can reach me directly on the phone at 212-692-5532. Or you can email me at ypatka, uh, yp as in Peter, a, t as in Tom, k-a, at dslp.com d is in davis s is in sam lp.com ting thank you again uh i'm looking forward to seeing you in person soon and uh this was yeah really likewise great. i appreciate it yeah my pleasure daniel thanks again for inviting me anytime take care all right we'll talk bye. soon bye